GM Jenko, how are you? What's up, man? We need to get a intro music. Yeah, I need you to sit at the piano and con- and you know compose something. Okay. <laughs> I'm reading through something that Ellie posted about the cyber squad. Very interesting. Ellie is on top of everything. <laughs> yep. Ellie could really be her own alpha channel. Yeah, she could have a uh, NFT, a gated NFT, <laughs> a, a paid Twitter feed. Well, here we are again. Welcome everyone to Rug Radio with Carlo and Jenko, brought to you in conjunction with Rug Radio, where we talk about new, and every day there's something new, and emerging trends in Web3, NFT, and blockchain law. Nothing we talk about should be considered legal or financial advice, and if you have a specific legal question, you should contact a lawyer who's licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction, and you should talk to that lawyer privately, not on a recorded Twitter space, because we record these things, and we're going to replay them. So all of that being said, CFTC, serving people via a website chat log. Thoughts, Jenko? There was a lot of new info that I tried to digest quickly today. What's the procedural posture of this? Is it a court granted or the government moved? Yeah, so as you know, we talked about this case uh, concerning this uh, DAO, and we had a pretty lengthy talk about the Oki DAO and about liability exposure for members of DAOs. And this was, this was all, that conversation was all brought on by the fact that the CFTC brought an enforcement action against this DAO for violations of CFTC regs. And they settled that with the founders. But then yesterday, the CFTC filed a declaration, which was a sworn attestation by a paralegal, uh, attesting that the paralegal had, um, uh, confirming that the paralegal had uh, used the- Attempted to serve. Attempted to serve, thank you, had attempted to serve via the platform's uh, chatbot and forum notice of the lawsuit. So I took a couple of screenshots of paragraphs that I thought were important On September 22nd, the commission filed the complaint in this action. On that date, I provided the complaint, summons, case management schedule order, and standing orders of the then assigned magistrate judge to the Okie Dow through the Okie Dow's website, help chat box, and wrote and submitted the following text, which I've got pinned up, but basically, you know, Attesting that this person put the DAO on notice. And that declaration was attached to a motion for the court to allow that service to be proper, or it's already been ruled upon and it's been I don't I don't know the answer to that. I only saw a copy of it. I think they are seeking if I understand and if anyone else, including Birdnalls, we know Birdnalls always knows what's going on. can confirm, but it seems to me that they are trying to establish that they have adequately put the DAO members on notice. 
And then the thing that really I found stunning about it was paragraph 13 of that affidavit. uh, Okie Dow's website, uh, okie.com, links to the Okie Dow's Telegram channel, a chat messaging platform. After filing the complaint, I requested and received access to that channel (laughs) and, and then accounts that there were people in the channel talking about it. And at least 38 messages within the Okie Dow's Telegram chat discussing that's the commission's be, complaint. That's got to be, I don't know, I, I got a lot of thoughts, but there has to be an aggressive, creative lawyer defending against this that could, there's a lot going on. Basic principles of due process, basic principles of why service is important, why actual notice is important. But I didn't even think about like like the communications, like just because you ask and were granted through like you request to join a Telegram group or a Discord. It's not like knocking on someone's door and being like, can I look through all of your private communications? And by the way, I'm suing you. Like if they didn't properly serve yet, then they're not on notice. And if you're asking to get into their private channel that may be a spoilation type of evidence the other way. Like, I don't know how that plays out. I've, I've just well, never, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, you know, lawyers ethically are not supposed to get into social media and engage with parties to cases. Now, There's I don't a lot know you, of gray area there. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know what level of engagement, you know, I don't know what level of engagement went into getting access to this telegram. Well, getting but, access could just be a simple request. Add me. Right. But it could be much more nefarious, even if it's just add me like a request, like through the platform. There's a if lot you're not of on notice of who that person is. And there's a lawsuit like that. That's so one sided. I, I just exactly I'm very curious how that plays out. There's a lot of nuances here, Jenko. I don't know all the facts, so we're not obviously lobbing allegations at anybody because we don't have all the facts. We're speculating here. But getting access to the telegram is an interesting issue that needs to be explored by lawyers in the space, I think, who are going to resist this service. And then you've got the issues of you've got anonymous people who now have the dilemma. Do they do they out themselves and respond? Because if you if you're technically found by a court to have been served in this manner and you don't respond to the complaint, you're going to get defaulted. You're going to have a default judgment against you. And who knows what the extent of that judgment and damages could be. Bert Knowles, you got your hand up. Fill us in. What do you know? Uh, I was just GM, gonna, buddy. Hey, GM, guys. Uh, I was just said I didn't want to jump in and interrupt, but I was just going to add in that usually the prohibition on attorneys uh, talking to uh, opposing parties in a lawsuit is only applicable when they're represented. So when they're unrepresented parties, there's nothing about like attorneys being able to talk no to doubt. or contact or things no like that. No doubt about that. So it, the it, fact it, that there's nobody that I know of being represented at this point um, that hasn't settled in this matter, um, I think would kind of get over any kind of ethical issues with uh, attorneys actually going into the Telegram group and or talking to anybody there. Thank you for clarifying that because that was really just off no, the that's, top of my that, head that's a fair point on the ethical especially like like once they're represented but in the attempt to serve i don't know that's why i said it, it'd have to be a creative and aggressive attorney but i think there's an 
a way to muddy the waters at least and spin that on them and saying that you got access to all our confidential things. It was there. It, it, it was, it was nefarious, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, maybe make them out and out of a molehill. What's up? Um, metaverse lawyer. What's up today? Hey GM. Um, no, I just jumped up to clarify or to answer the question Ray posed about the, you know, what's the procedural posture, I guess. And yeah, it, this request was made as part of a motion asking the judge to essentially uh, approve alternative means of service um, and to say that, yeah, dropping the summons and complaint in this chat box or help box or whatever constitutes valid service. It's, it's interesting because it says they're looking for a finding or an order from the judge saying that this constitutes service on the DAO. Um, it doesn't, I mean, I guess that they mean, of all every on the DAO of the DAO, yeah, it doesn't really specify that, but I guess that's what they mean when they refer to the DAO. They Another refer to thing that. that can be litigated or, or yeah, because like what is the DAO? It's because it's not an organization, right? We talked about this this last time. Um, it's not a legal entity. Um, so I guess I guess they're saying I haven't I didn't read the complaint that closely, but I guess they're saying the DAO is the sum of its parts, which is each of its members. Um, and um, the other thing is, I mean, no, I don't know. It's it's like who who will even oppose this motion? It's such an interesting issue. I'd I'd like to see it get opposed by someone that has standing and ability to oppose it. Um, I know that there's some issues with, you know, how does whether someone can come in and make what's what used to be called like a limited appearance, right, to challenge just the um, that that question without subjecting themselves to jurisdiction. Um, kind of tricky where we have a lot of members who could be all over the world, I guess, and you know they're anonymous. So um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out in terms of whether there will be even a challenge to this motion or whether, like other things in these cases, I've seen this happen a lot of times in other cases, the CFTC comes in kind of guns blazing um, and does everything ex parte and just kind of steamrolls their way to getting all these orders. And even in some cases that I came in on as counsel against the CFTC, um, got an injunction and, um, you know, all kinds of restraining orders just that they wrote themselves right so um, a lot of times they kind of come in and just get what they want because there's really no one to oppose it so now that we have questions about how they got into the telegram we have questions about whether this is actual provable service on all the members of the DAO, and we have questions about who's going to respond because the leaders of this DAO, the founders already settled out with the cftc so that begs the question what is the CFTC looking to do with each individual member at this point? They've already got a settlement here. Well, it's to, it's a chilling effect, right? I think, I think it's a unique case, but we're all interested in it because it's not going to remain a unique case. Like we're going to see this time and again. So yeah, I that's think, what I was saying. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's, a it's more effect. like the precedent it's they're trying to yeah. set by saying, okay, we can serve by Not a legal methods. precedent, but but like a land grab precedent. And I'm less critical of them trying this because if you're going to be honest about what a DAO is, they, how can they serve these people? And all of our discussions always led to the end point of, well, they're an anon across borders. They can't be served. And like that was the end of a lot of game plans. So I'm not as critical as I was until a judge kind of allows it for them to test where the borders are and then at least start playing the game fairly 
I have some predictable rules and I'd like to see, you know, from the, from the Dow member side, what's allowed. I'd like to see a ruling on this stuff as opposed to everybody settling out all the time. And then they can use this as a weapon without it really being checked. So yeah, I you hope would it think, does get litigated. You would think now the Dow members have to have an emergency meeting, probably not on telegram and discuss a unified plan for how they're going to address this because a court ruling, and that's what I touched on in the thread I wrote, a court ruling approving this as, as proper service could really embolden regulators and could really, uh, could really become an assault on Dow structures. And, you know, not only are they now dealing with the fact they don't have proper insulation from liability, but now they can be served uh, in a very, very loose fashion and arguably not all be on notice of that service. Near, welcome. Great to have you in the space. What do you think? Oh, thank you. Thank you guys so much. These are always so valuable. <laughs> Happy to be here uh, with you guys. And looks like, as always, we have a really nice audience. Um, I Just a couple of things. You know, Carlo, when I saw your uh, tweet this morning, I was like, wow, that's such a good point on the decision. What do you do if there's a default judgment coming down the line? Um, and really interesting, uh, Ellie brought up a, a case, actually Ellie and, and CW brought up a case um, regarding unstoppable domains and the dot wallet uh, domain dispute. And really interestingly enough, they were heading towards uh, a default judgment. They were asking the court for one and the actual owner of the dot wallet, <laughs> I guess the person now with blockchain domains is acting like a registry, right? This person that bought it from Handshake and then uh, was subsequently selling to others, you know, if you wanted to do Carlo.wallet or whatever it may be, he intervened. Uh, he was, you know, relatively anonymous until that point um, when it became obvious that it was looking like it was going to go for a default judgment. So really interesting. I mean, that spurred a couple. There was two more lawsuits filed after he intervened. Uh, it would be an interesting one to follow. But for sure, is it, you know, what what are the consequences of allowing something to go for a default judgment and having that kind of kind of hang over your head? Oof, a lot, uh, a lot to consider there. It'll be really interesting. And I also just really quick, um, you know, Ray and, and Metaverse Lawyer, I heard you guys talking about, you know, what can somebody try to quash the service? I think that's kind of where we were going. Uh, can you quash the service so for, to say it's improper? And I, and I know there's been stuff that the Electronic Frontier Foundation has done where they've been able to maintain the anonymity. The anonymity? You guys help me with that. Um, but um, it's, I, I think like, it sounds like it might be heading that way. What do you think? Yeah, no, Nir, thank you for joining and thank you for, for, for sort of reinforcing the importance of this. Metaverse Lawyer, you got your hand up. I know that you, you have some strong feelings about, about where this is all going. So what do you think? Um, well, first of all, I think that um, since it is just a motion, there's not really any need for anyone to come quash it. It's really just simply someone to oppose the request. Oppose the motion, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, thank so, you. <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, normally, I mean, 
asking the judge for this type of an order to allow service by some alternative means, usually by email, right? Um, or service by publication, you do that a lot. Um, very, it's a very routine and kind of common thing to do, I guess. Um, and a lot of times it is granted because by the fact that you're even asking for that request means because you couldn't serve them or locate them by you know normal ways of just finding them and delivering the summons and complaint. Um, but it's interesting in the motion, they don't really, at least in my opinion, I didn't really think they went to great lengths to demonstrate the efforts that they had made to locate the individuals. I mean, they do say that they searched um, criminal law, criminal record databases, um, searched the Uki Dao website and the internet for any information regarding identifiable members associated with the Uki Dao or a physical address, and searched business registration websites for all 50 states for any registration information and associated inform identification of author authorized agents for service of process. I mean, that's all they did, which I kind of find the last part really interesting because they make the big point earlier that it's not um, organized anywhere, Precisely. but then they try to use that why, fact to their advantage by saying... Why would an unorganized have a registered agent? Right, they wouldn't, of course, you know, and they're making, like, a big part of their complaint is that they're not registered, but then they use... Because then they use the fact... Then why, why even search the 50 states? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what other efforts you could really go to, though, is the point. I mean, if I'm looking at this from their perspective, the, from the government's perspective, it's like, yeah, how, how do you serve anonymous people or what i don't know there's obviously no precedent no case law that's going to say you know what kind of efforts you have to go to i mean in normal cases you'd have to show that you, why you couldn't locate them what efforts you made to locate them if you did try to serve them at a physical address there's all kinds of things you know that you have to put in a motion to get uh, um, authorization to serve by alternative means that i guess you know in the cftc's defense you just can't really do that because these are anonymous wallets. Um, so it is an interesting precedent of, you know, what's the court going to look at and, and what means will they authorize? Will they allow you to maybe send um, notice to their wallet? We've seen that in other cases where uh, service was authorized by dropping something into a, a wallet, right? Um, they didn't ask for that here, which is kind of interesting. And maybe they will if the court denies this request. But, um, you know, it, it's I mean, interesting to see what they went and did to try to establish the need for this kind of service. And to me, it's not like, uh, if I was filing this motion, I would want to have a lot more information to show why it was necessary to serve by this sort of, well, by alternative means, period, and especially to serve by this novel alternative means. They did locate two of them though, right? They located a couple of the founders and settled with them. So they obviously have located some of them. They have, it. See, the, that's the issue here, I think. One of the big issues is that they have located some of them. They can locate some of them. Instead of like going through some kind of uh, why didn't they have forensics. to negotiate that in the settlement to get the other names? Great point, because Jenko, that would have been something discoverable. Because I'm sure that this. So they literally should have to tell this judge, "We know the founders and their co-members, but we decided not to negotiate with them and like settle before we got that." Like that's an alternate means. And I hate to cut everybody off, but I just want to understand. Where does yeah, this all go? Because yeah, I want to understand what's at stake. Are, is it money? Are they trying to grab a treasury? Because isn't an investigation part of it? Like, oh, we don't know who robbed the bank either. So let's just – like if you're successful at serving on an, this, this, this way 
And the basis is because we have no way to find they're totally anonymous. We have no way to do anything. Then, okay, now they're served. And even get the default, who cares? Like, where does it go if the premise of this motion is true? You can't do, there's no consequences to this whole action. It's a big waste unless you're just a power grab, unless it's just a power grab for other cases. And well, I look at, I look at what metaverse lawyer is saying, Jenko, and you know, you got the founders like Bertinall said, I imagine the founders have to have records of who is part of this DAO at a minimum, their wallet addresses, because in order for these people to vote, they probably had to connect their wallet to some sort of a consensus application. So there, there is a list of these people. There is a trail. It may not be the traditional, you know, means of locating these people, but it doesn't seem like those measures were looked into before they went to this sort of DEFCON 5 attempt. Yeah, but and, and yeah, you're right as far as at least there should be, you know, a list of wallet addresses, right? But that may be all there is. There, there might the, the founders may have no idea who the other people are. I don't know anything about uh, this particular DAO or you know who it, who's in it. What, you know. Yeah, I wouldn't assume that. I, I agree, Metaverse. Um, so here's, so here's but, a but as far here's as like getting, what are they going to do with it? Um, yeah, that is the question, right? What are they going to do with this if they get a default judgment? It's, default judgments, you know, they may not be worth that much, it, right? It, unless they're going to use it a as a treasury or a bank account somewhere. You're really doing this to scare other people. It's yeah, it's more like the, the chilling here. effect that it yeah, sends to a, other DAO participants. That's not a good use of the judicial process. Like, that's not the way it's supposed to be done. Um, well, like, think about it no this way. consequences to the people here. And, and we go back to uh, Metaverse Lawyer said something, like, or, or Nier's question, what are the consequences? I would... I would give the advice, do not respond, take the default. If they can't get you served, they can't hurt you with a default. Am I missing, like, is there a gray area there? Or are those kind of congruent? I agree unless with you're, that. Unless you're, one of the, unless you're one of the people that engaged with the Telegram chat, and maybe that's some Oh, and the other served. point, Bird Nulls, is Telegram isn't just a conversation. You, once you're added, you see the history of the line, <laughs> of the thread. But go ahead. The only thing I was going to add to that is, um, yeah, even if they get the default, then they have to do something with it, like execute, right? They still need to locate the person. And at the end of the day, you know, if I'm advising someone that's maybe worried about this, hypothetically, if they haven't ever looked at it, they didn't view any messages, um, or at least, you know, there's no way the CFTC can even prove who's seen that. So let's say eventually they identify a particular person, um, and then they try to, you know, enforce the judgment against that person or something or do any kind of further action. Anyone can eventually come in and try to set aside the default. Right. And that's kind of the problem as a litigator with pursuing pursuing these types now, of judgments. Yeah. It's in. like, how good the, is the, the default judgment? You know, they, it's going to you want to before they take your bank account, you could step in and say, oh, let's try the case on the merits. Sorry, right. And you and, you know, these default judgments are only as good as the efforts made to get them is what I always kind of, that's how I look at it. You know, if you can show that the person probably really did have notice and then just chose to ignore it and then later kind of tried to come in all cutesy and get it set aside, it's going to be harder for them to set it aside. But I think in a situation like this, I mean, how can they prove what members of the DAO have seen this? I mean, is there some reason to believe that every member of the DAO looks in this help chat box? That's what I was th thought that the motion was lacking. There's really nothing to, to really 
strongly show the court that this is going to be actual notice because that's the whole point of allowing alternative services you're saying look it's not formal service personal service in the traditional sense but it's giving actual notice to the people so that they can come and and you know uh, uh, respond to the complaint because even if they get this motion granted it's not a default in the case yet that just means they've been served and then the clock starts to tick on them being able to respond to the complaint i couldn't agree more worst case scenario you're responding and you and you push to set aside the default and it's tough not to your analysis was was spot on unless they can show it was a willful kind of um stick your head in the sand it's really tough for the trial judge not to see something on the merits and then when you look deeper that the notice was so outside of the norm i i think you'd have a good good argument you take it one step further you take it to more of in line with our world you're in a project, a project has a discord. You probably very rarely visit the discord. Now you've got regulators poking around the discord and they want to put every holder, every Dow member on notice. I mean, are we really now responsible for, for having to monitor our discord to make sure we're not getting a default? We, we need to hope the judge is in a couple telegram groups. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Because I'll tell you right now, if someone's trying to serve me um, by sending uh, summons or some any kind of legal process to the discords that I am you know, a member of, I'm not going to see any of them. So, exactly. What, what exactly? You know, can we talk a little bit about the consequences of of the actual default? I haven't taken a look at at the complaint. As far as the damages they're seeking. Yeah. Exactly. I'm curious. Well, they're going for joint and several liability for their claim. So, I mean, I mean, it would make every member of the DAO um, equally liable for the damages. I think it's not claimed in the complaint unless I'm missing it. But in this type of thing, it's kind of like what the judge sees fit. So if, if there's a restitution or a fine, that joint and several matters. I don't think they're going to stack... Life Got it. There's no kind of like maybe. injunction, like I'm trying to stop them from doing something. It's just more on, on the damages. I'm scanning now, but no, this wasn't the, the, the underlying case is not an injunction. It was, a, they filed a. Uh, yeah, but look, plan, uh, right? you know, it's, it's got implications and it ought to give people pause who are considering joining a DAO. Because if you are doxxed, if you have tangible assets that you are worried about, that you could be subject to a judgment based on the actions of the Dow, it, it should, if this is successful, it should have, like you said, Jenko, a chilling effect and give people pause in considering whether they want to actually associate with a Dow. Again, that shouldn't necessarily be the question. The question can be, how can I do it in a way that serves my goals? And there are paths. They may be expensive or clunky or sophisticated, but there are paths to keeping you know, yourself a strong degree of anonymous, which is a spectrum, and participating in a you know, corporately insulated way in and outside of the U.S. So I think it's not... 
oh, I can't participate. It's I need, you know, there's a tall order ahead. There's a, there's a, um, entrance barrier, I think. Wendy, you came up. We got Wendy up in the house. How are you, Wendy? Welcome, Wendy. Good. Thanks for inviting me up. Um, and I, I know y'all have more experience with this than I do. Um, but I was reading an article on Coindesk about the case and from what I understood from the article, the founders had um, started a regular corporation and had settled with the CFTC, um, the two individuals and their corporation. Then they reformed um, as a DAO. And I was curious um, whether the CFTC may be um, undertaking this, this new service to try to ferret out the individuals who started the original corporation um, for maybe violating whatever settlement agreement they had entered into with the CFTC. That's interesting. But how, how soon is that agreement? Wasn't that like immediately preceding this filing? I couldn't or the tell. Complaint? Yeah, I couldn't tell from the article, but it made it sound That's an like interesting thought. Yeah, that they had actually reformed as a DAO subsequent to their settlement so um, the in the DAO is, is, is subsequent to the settlement, then that's very possible. That's a great point. I don't know if you'd have to serve the folks you already settled with via these means, but that's a great thought. Yeah, I was just curious to um, know maybe that they weren't going after every member of the DAO, but instead were trying to ferret out these two individuals, you know, and, and show that they had reformed in a, in a way to try to avoid liability or to violate the settlement agreement that they entered into in the first place. I wouldn't know enough to disagree, and that could be partly a motivation, but I would take the view that that's wrong, that hopefully that doesn't exist because, you know, they went for joint and several liability. They're trying to serve all members and to really you know, we can only react to the reality of the litigation. So to those members, they are a target. So I know prosecutors and plaintiffs attorneys kind of play games with targets and, and co-defendants. But in this case, like, there's no difference if you're the one that's the target, or at least the target on paper. So it might be a motivation. I think that that likely could be that even if they hadn't had a previous settlement, the founders are probably the most likely to be at the head of the line of any punishment or fines or fees. But that's just me speculating. Right. No, I absolutely agree. It's it's overreaching if that is their goal. And yeah, I was just kind of curious about that, that issue that was um, raised in the article. So now I guess the question becomes, who's going to respond to this motion? And... We'll be monitoring this to look at what that response looks like. Can we say, I saw a Twitter thread from a respected lawyer, I think, and I think the point of it was that if no one, the game theory is don't respond, likely, given the circumstances of the individuals. But the consequences of the non-opposed motion it's not like a binding precedent that this service avenue is now open for all. Like Bernal's metaverse lawyer pointed out, like this is an alternative means that has its own burden of proof. 
showing that other means didn't apply or were, were, were exhausted. And secondly, like losing because no one opposed it just doesn't have pre- pre- prejudicial or, or, or uh, it's not a precedent, even in that same court before that same judge. I don't think it would be persuasive, but maybe another litigator could 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 speak. Yeah. That. So, the, I mean, I'd and like that's to... that headline tweet that like is the clickbait that I saw. And I I disagree with it, I guess. Well, I think I think it's actually that probably is the right, you know, game theory approach is just for nobody to even oppose it. Um, unless there's someone out there that really, you know, has a lot to lose and, and knows that they can be shown that they're on notice and they don't want to risk being in a position where they would be in default and not able to overturn a default someday. Um, but I, I, I mean, I hope someone does oppose it, obviously, because I want to see how the judge weighs the facts and makes the decision on the law. And it, these things, I mean, anyone who's litigated and asked for alternative service, especially in federal court, knows that um, these things vary wildly depending on who the judge is. Um, The last time I filed this type of a motion in federal court, uh, we had defendants and like individual members of a company. There's like a Chinese corporation that were doing business in Nevada. And it was obvious they had notice and everything and knew about the complaint. And we just wanted to be able to email it to them to, you know, say that they've been served and have to answer the complaint. And, tons of briefing tons of facts and the judge would not allow service by email but by email you know it's like we got to go through international conventions and actually serve them in singapore so some judges just hate to do alternative service period it totally depends on the judge in a lot of these cases and and even those who are forgiving are not going to look at this case and say oh no one responded to when the government served by you know the help email Therefore, it's open season. And I think that that's kind of an easy misconception that's kind of going out there the last week. Right. It's not like if nobody responds and then so the court just rubber stamps or grants the motion, not rubber stamps, but decides, okay, it has merit. It's, I mean, it's possible the judge would deny this motion even if no one opposes it. It's very possible. Precisely. Again, depending on the judge. Um, so I think and that's another reason why you just do nothing. You'd almost have to because the other side doesn't have notice of the motion if the judge feels they don't have notice of the complaint because the motion was also noticed the same way, right? So right. you have to make that ruling. If you're but again, if the judge does grant the motion and then says, okay, I'm allowing service by you know dropping the summit's complaint in this chat box and other means that you know the CFTC has done – that really isn't any kind of precedential value um, for other cases. It's definitely not in other jurisdictions. Ruben, it might be precedent only for this particular judge. Say, judge, you did this before, right? So you can do it again. That's about the extent of the precedent that it, that it provides. And then you kind of almost have to do it all over again when you move for default because you're going to have to attach the efforts that you made to serve the parties that they weren't overseas on military service is one of these requirements that we have in Texas. You have to get this certification that the person, you know, was not overseas and not a member of the military. You know, you've got a lot of hurdles to jump through before you can perfect the default motion, which is almost a replay of all of this anyway. Ruben, and if there's not money at stake, I don't see why you're responding to this. Go ahead, Ruben. Yeah, so a couple of questions. 
Um, one fairly straightforward, and the other one's kind of boil the ocean. Uh, first one is summary judgment. It's a two-word question. Um, and the second one is uh, court shopping, potentially. Like, has, have we done any homework as to who the plaintiff's firm is, what the, the background of that plaintiff's firm is? Um, and is there a, presumably there's a, there's a specific judge? Um, and I, I guess I'm thinking cui bono here, right? Like, uh, I think the, I think the, the plaintiffs, the plaintiffs, they don't, they don't have outside counsel. It's just the CFTC in their, you know, internal litigation attorneys on staff. Oh, wait, this is federal. Yeah. Yeah, Federal court. Yeah. Yeah. This is a regulatory action. Whoa. Okay. So. So that's a, never mind about the court shopping. Uh, interesting. All right. Um, man. Wah, wah. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> yes. This is, uh, I, this is an interesting. I, and, and, and you, you brought up a point that I wanted to talk about. Nir, go ahead before I jump in. If you had something, please. Oh, no. If it's directly responding, you should go ahead. I had, I just wanted to kind of pose something else for something, something for us to think about because. Go ahead. Um, I metaverse lawyer reminded me there was there was a case um, I'm here in Miami in the Southern District of Florida and we had a, a case you know somewhat fairly recently where um, the court you know we were, they, we were trying to or the court was trying to decide alternative service and whether or not email or you know what other other substitute methods might be applicable and the fact that the defendants may have been evading, uh, service, you know, came into play and it was, it was kind of a big deal in that case. And so I'm curious, like, do you think that because it is a dower, because you are conducting yourself anonymously in some way might be looked as a way of evading service? Well, it'll be argued for sure, given the way that they argued this motion. Um, and that's kind of the system, like, they will argue aggressive and hopefully they're, they're robustly defended, but I could see a lot, log- a logical line to that. Metaverse lawyer, did you want to chat on that? No, I, I agree. I mean, th- that could be argued that that, um, you know, is a reason why they need to, to have the alternative means approved because these people are clearly anonymous. They don't want to be found. I mean, it's not a bad argument, probably. It's the tornado cash argument in a different form. I think they're they're being private, so they're more likely to be but, nefarious. I, I mean, I will just I guess this is my own commentary, but the CFTC doesn't argue that, which I think maybe maybe what bad lawyering. Um, <laughs> I think they would I would argue that, but that's it goes back to my initial point, which was I mean, if I'm the judge, I just don't think this is a very strong motion because they don't really explain clearly the need for why they need this sort of uh, novel new uh, approach to serving individuals, especially to serve anonymous individuals through an online chat box, why that even works. Um, They really could have pounded that very issue home. Um, But it just goes to show again, from my experience, what's happening here is the CFTC is just trying to ramrod um, and get the relief they want, probably for some future purpose that they have in mind, right? It's not clear on the It has to be because there's no logical purpose here if you can't even serve the, the, the folks you're not going to get anything from them so and it may have been that. a strategic decision to keep it very very uh very very boilerplate and and 
very bare bones because they don't want to they don't want to have to argue their way out of things that they're raising. They may just want to lay behind the log and wait to see if someone responds and raises the very issues that metaverse lawyers bringing up. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the CFTC loves agrees. to be able to litigate yeah, based yeah. on default, right? The, the easiest way to win is when the other side doesn't uh, oppose anything, and then you get to prepare the orders and the you know everything that the judge is signing off on, and that's the way they like to litigate. And I, again, I have firsthand experience on that coming in after the fact from a client who you know didn't retain counsel in time, then coming in trying to moot, set aside the default and absolutely just nightmare litigating against the CFTC. And I, I mean, I'll give them that, I guess. They wield their power um, very effectively. I mean, in 16 or so years of litigation, I've never had opposing counsel that was just as miserable um, to, to deal with as these CFTC attorneys. And they just, um, they they kind of use their position and then the, the order that they get themselves by default to just really make life very difficult on litigants who event, who may want to come up later and actually challenge um, and, and challenge the complaint on the merits. So that's what they're trying to do is just like get this in place and then they maybe even don't have to prove the merits of their underlying complaint. It's a fascinating development and it's an interesting pivot in the way that uh, litigation goes forward in the web world. It's evolving as we speak and there are no clear definitions. I did pin up that our man Birdnall's is actually been tasked with writing the Dow corporate code for a state, and he's put up a thread, and he's he's raised some interesting things that he's going to include in that. Uh, so I'm curious to see how that Very document nice. develops. That's amazing. Wow. I always knew he was a cop. I, uh, no, I'm just I'm just joking. <laughs> I got nothing to say. He got that. hired by the state. That's fine. No, he's the he's the right person to do it, and we'll probably should have him on, where folks can throw ideas at him or have him kind of test his thoughts or whatever. I, I love I'll, that. We can moot court his his white paper on Dow governance for the state. Hey, I'll, I'll chime in on that issue, too, and say, you know, it's all jokes aside. I mean, I think it's incredibly important and it's awesome that we have, you know, all these attorneys that are in this group and those that we know are that are working in this space that are and should be the ones writing these laws. You know, I mean, we can gripe and complain about the government abusing the, the statutes as they're written. But the fact is, the law is written as it is. There is no precedent in a lot of things. So, um, I mean. It's a it's a unique opportunity to have people that are knowledgeable and are thinking about, um, you know, the various impacts of these things are the ones writing and suggesting to lawmakers what what goes into these laws. So I think it's awesome that, you know, one of our own is involved in that. And I mean, I'd want to see more of us hopefully involved in these kind of efforts. I love that on his list goals of Dow founders, participants for legal rappers, he has preservation of anonymity of participants and it goes to exactly you know, what we're talking about here and that distinction um, between, you know, kind of privacy um, and versus the assumptions that you're doing something nefarious just because you're private. <laughs> I think part of that, and I haven't heard it yet, and I know a lot of people tried to articulate it, but I think part of getting that into a statute or, or kind of 
I, I, I need to hear a very strong articulation of why that's the case. Because for some reason, a lot of people's guts or a lot of people's human nature is to assume that if you want the privacy, there's something wrong and or there's something some wrongdoing going on. And I, I just we need like a strong elevator pitch to defeat that. Um, and I can't kind of articulate it, but I, I totally agree. Yeah. I think you know, safety is, is usually one of the big reasons. Um, you know, here in, in Florida, we have very broad public records laws. And to me, like it, it just hurts <laughs> uh, some of the, some of the safety concerns that I have and that only particular individuals are able to enjoy um, keeping certain information under uh, public records private. And it's a whole process of, needing to submit <laughs> submit it to different you know state agencies and such and and sometimes and I've, I've had to go through it with a client where it's like sometimes it's uh you got to educate those attorneys in those specific offices or you're just trying to keep something private and there's serious consequences if you make something private that you're not supposed to so yeah it's it's definitely a hard argument to make you know safety is usually like one of one of the bigger ones um but i i agree i think kind of working on that elevator pitch can really be beneficial, um, not just to the space, but just overall privacy concerns. No, I think you hit it on the head. That's, 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 that's fair. Um, what's the compelling state interest to know who the board of directors are or the founders are, or the shareholders are? Some states have, like you said, more disclosures public than others. What, What's the articulation of that side? Is there one that's modern that actually applies or is it rooted in something foolish? <laughs> <laughs> that's your answer. Okay, cool. I got that. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the, it depends. Yeah, you know, it's because, um, you know, for certain instances, I do think it's it, it can be appropriate, uh, especially I think of, you know, freedom of press and <laughs> availability of getting information. Um, you know, there was, there's serious concerns with, for example, arrest warrants, uh, or if the police is investigating somebody keeping certain information private like that. Um, but it's funny. It reminds me, I had to look into, and now we're not talking state, we're talking federal, um, filing something in the U S patent and trademark office by an individual that wanted to stay anonymous <laughs> and that's hard <laughs> it's hard because they need to sign things and make declarations that they are doing things in you know in commerce and there, there's all sorts of declarations that they need to make that are uh, penalized by uh, penalty of perjury um but it's it, it brings up a really interesting question on that. And the only thing I could see, Ray, looking kind of like digging into the rules and stuff is that they want to know who to sue. You know, and is that well, that's fair. What do we think? Well, about that? Well, well, you can have that. <laughs> you have ways to impound the bank accounts or attach bank accounts and et cetera, et cetera. EIN numbers, file taxes. Once you have that corporate entity, but like the founder's mailing address, right? like sometimes that's public. And they have to go through this ridiculous step of like purchasing 
uh, an address that they don't live at for safety concerns. Just, just, it's just a tax on small business. It's just a, a, a nonsense industry. Um, but you make really, really great points. You have to put your domicile address there. Yeah, as well. a lot of them so, ask for where you and live. swear you to it. Even, so, so with the with the patent and trademark um, IP question, you couldn't go through the layer of a corporation, or was the problem that even at that layer, there were declarations they wanted an, an individual. If a corporate entity, if a Delaware corporation wanted to file for the IP, is there a route there? <clears throat> Well, for example, you have the issue, main issue with that is that you do have to submit a domicile address. So Jeez. you can't just put a PO yeah, box. Yeah, you're done. That's it. That's your anonymity right there. Well, we had some others join the stage. Fudrick. What's up, man? How are you today? Good. How are you guys? Good, bro. What's on your mind? What's up, Fudrick? Not much. I just had a few questions. I've been. Uh, I read the Bird Bird Law uh, thing that he put up here, and then uh, I had another question. But um, with what he's writing, do you guys know if this is gonna be like a C corp or an LLC? Like, hopefully, I'm hoping that it's a corporation. Personally, that they're trying to write these down laws for. My gut is that they're trying to create a rubric where it stands it's its own silo so as as you mentioned two corporate forms i think they want to like create a new category at that same level of those those other two like it wouldn't be underneath it'd be its own where it had its own registration and kind of its own uh uh uh, burdens of filing and would have its own consequences of being filed, like on, the tax code would then have to get involved, et cetera. Do, do, do others on the stage kind of get that feeling? Well, isn't that what Wyoming did? They essentially tried to break Wyoming, off. Wyoming, that's, that's where it is. Right. Wyoming is, is just yeah, like maybe. an LLC. The, the one thing about Wyoming, the only thing sort of unique about it that I, I like um, – is they they specifically say that the DAO or the LLC? It, you're right. It is basically just saying DAOs are LLCs. <laughs> yeah. But but the one the way it's different than a regular LLC is that um, instead of being only member managed or manager managed, um, that gives you the option of having it be managed by like an algorithmic line of code, you know, or it could be managed by smart contract, which I think is pretty incredible, you know. And I'd like to see that specific aspect of DAO laws be developed further you know because it's like taking away potential human error or bias or things like that in what it maybe was something that a, a task of the manager would carry out by saying okay we have members of the DAO or the llc the entity that are making decisions and, and basically then um authorizing a smart contract to be the one that actually manages the DAO. Yeah, so I'd like to see that aspect of development more. In fact, I would say that DAOs are, you know, I don't even know what a DAO is because most aren't decentralized or autonomous, but I'd like to see like a decentralized autonomous manager. Maybe with like, I'll coin that phrase, a DAM statute, <laughs> you know? What's the legal consequence? And Fudrick may have had a second question, but I want to stay on this for one moment. What is the legal consequence of having a manager, not having a manager, one a being the manager or B being the manager, does it change liability in certain aspects? Like what's, 
is there a heightened duty from a manager or by a manager? Like what's, what's the consequence now that we get away with not having to name a human? You have to have like, uh, something like when I, when I file for one, cause I filed for one, like the beginning of this year, they asked, they asked me for like members, like a list of members or a, a list of like signalers or something like that. They asked me for a list of them to keep, I guess, record of or something like that. So it could have been, I gave them addresses. I gave them addresses to the smart contracts that we use. So to me, right. And you kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's you can, it can just be uh, anonymous. You don't have to list a person, right? So it could be collectively managed by the group. Very cool. So there's still no liability. That's the whole point of the LLC, right? But um, instead of having to name a particular member as being the one that manages, um, or being able to appoint or hire someone from outside the membership group to to manage it, which you I, can. I was man, thinking, manager manage not liability. Have a group do it. Yeah, I was thinking uh, like employee or respond yet superior uh, or employment law. Like, are there any instances like? Does the union negotiate with a smart contract now? Like, like what's, is there any instance that not having a manager may manifest itself and have a weird result in another area of the law, just as a thought, but we have others joining. Well, I, I guess like, you could, I don't know if, if uh, maybe down the road, we'll see people trying to pierce the corporate veil to sue the algorithm. <laughs> I mean, I don't know it, be because normally you have a contract. person sitting there in that, in that chair. And then they're subject to potential liability if someone tries to pierce the corporate veil to go after the particular manager, right? But that takes that out of so the equation. So it gives, yeah, it takes that out of the equation. It gives a little more buffer zone. That that makes perfect sense. Thanks, man. Tatted, long time no talk. How are you? Hey, how's it going, guys? You know, just uh, just here in Florida, waiting for this hurricane to hit. But uh, very very interesting conversations uh, that you guys have uh, going on. And I actually wanted to raise both half a question and half kind of a statement and get your guys' opinion on this. So I know for a fact that the Cayman Islands offer an entity structure called a foundation, and they also offer an entity structure called an ownerless foundation. So essentially like a centralized entity can set up a centralized foundation. The foundation is obviously a nonprofit type uh, organization, similar like Ape Foundation or Ethereum Foundation, kind of like that. But then the foundation can, with the setup of a DAO structure and actually having the DAO in place with like the governance board and the constitution and all that good stuff can then transition to become an ownerless entity that just has directors rather than anybody actually having ownership over the foundation. And I'm just curious from the other lawyers in this chat, how would that be viewed as like a legitimate ownerless foundation? How would that be viewed in terms of like, uh, you know, United States law and like how they have to, try to find somebody to sue and like using the CFTC uh, recent filing against that DAO as an example, like what do, what do you guys think about that uh, and how ownerless foundations work? Because obviously in the U S there's no structure for an ownerless foundation, but in other, other uh, jurisdictions there are. It's incredible that we're having these conversations. I mean, if we were to go into a time machine and go 20 years back in a room full of lawyers and propose things like this, their heads would probably explode. <laughs> well, the, the, the foundations in the U S are ownerless. What do you mean? I know you have a, a, a question. I'm just not here. I I'm missing it. So like in, in the Caymans, you can literally, uh, 
divest ownership to essentially just kind of like an organizing body that oversees it, but they're not like technically the owners of said foundation. So I'm curious in that kind of context, like uh, at least how it's running the Caymans, I'm curious how you guys would see legal liability being imputed onto an overless entity, essentially. Like who, who would get the blame? Would it be the members of the entity? Would it be the directors? I'm just curious what your guys' thoughts are. I'd love to hear what others, but, but to me, my gut is like, if it was a Cayman ownerless entity what, did something, some wrongdoing in the U S how let's, what, let's turn it into liable? a, is that let's turn asking? it into a total dystopian sci-fi thriller. And it's a total ownerless Cayman entities run by an AI. Algorithm <laughs> yeah. That is autonomously making decisions well, and, and has a bank thing. account. Okay, exactly. You do the, the you do the same thing. I mean, except in egregious cases, you hold the corporation and the corporate treasury and the corporate assets uh, accountable, and the managers and the board of directors who were, you know, doing atrocious things with other people's money often aren't like held criminally liable or even civilly liable. So I think it can be fit the existing framework in a lot of ways. Does that make sense? Yes. That's, that's what I, that's, so that was actually my opinion as well. And I, I just kind of wanted to hear your guys' opinion because it sounds like if anything, like you said, if we just went down, there would really be no one to put the blame on because obviously how are you going to put the blame on the directors? They don't own the foundation. So that's that. I, I just kind of wanted to hear other legal the, opinions on the matter. The, the balance is if it's egregious enough, you're, you pierce the corporate veil, Right. And, and right. somebody does, like if there if a murder takes place, it, it's outside of the scope of any protection anyway. But if it's really just improper business uh, uh, activities or a civil suit with consumer, I think, or a, or an environmental issue, I think the precedent is that they pay their fine and the individuals kind of are protected. Metaverse lawyer. Sorry, I, I don't have. I wasn't paying close enough to attention to have really coherent thoughts on it. I, I, I'm not, <laughs> That's cool. I don't know how anyone multitasks. I got a couple of DMs coming in talking about the stuff we were talking about before and looking at that and listening. It's yeah, can't do two things at once here anymore. <laughs> That's cool. Listen, you got to walk. Tatted. Was there another gum. part to your question? I love when you join the panel. Yeah, man. Um. No, that was that was really what I was thinking off the off the top of my head, just because with the CFTC trying to sue this DAO, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on it because it sounds like the Uki DAO just wasn't. Um, I, I need to look more into their structure, but to me, it just sounds like the reason that they might be able to be sued is they didn't really take the necessary steps and processes to set up a proper foundation structure before actually organizing a DAO underneath the foundation, and that's why their members are, you know, potentially liable or trying to be served right now through the through the group chat so i just wanted I, I was just curious if essentially this is like a, a lesson to anybody else trying to set up a dow is like you know it, it's not enough to just set up a dow and say we have a dow like you have to actually set up an ownerless foundation first and then put the dow underneath the ownerless foundation so that's interesting so you see the you see the cftc's potential motive here for going after the individual members reverts back to it might be a uh, the, it might be a flaw in the formation itself. Yeah, 100%. Because at the end of the day, uh, just exactly what we just talked about, if it was, if the DAO was under an, uh, an ownerless foundation, 
and the foundation is the one who facilitates the DAO when the CFTC comes along and tries to sue the owners, ownerless foundation, you know, they're basically serving no one, <laughs> uh, depending on the jurisdiction that you're in. Um, and, and if they have the requirement of having like a legitimate office or something like that. So, I mean, there's, there's plenty of jurisdictions that don't even require like a standing office for a fa- uh, ownerless foundation. So if that were to happen, my question to the CFTC is, okay, well, who are you going to serve with this lawsuit? Are you going to serve the directors? Because then they're going to argue, you know, exactly what you just said. You can't pierce the corporate veil. Why are we being, you know, blamed for the, the acts of this ownerless entity kind of thing? So that's, that's what I don't think there's laws prepared for this type of structure yet. And that's why I'm super curious to see what's going to happen, especially with the CFTC thing, because I hope a judge doesn't stand saying this is considered publication or excuse me, service by publication uh, just because they're discussing it in a group chat. Cause like at the end of the day, I'm sure you guys are in a lot of discords that you haven't been in in months and might not be, you know, availed of the new updates in that discord. And all of a sudden someone's like, Oh yeah, you're getting sued. And, you were availed because other people in your discord were talking about it. Like that'd be crazy to me. Yeah. We talked about that a little earlier and you know, it seems like you almost have to have some, some Jedi level Dow formation skills. And when they do come knocking, you basically pivot and say, these aren't the Dow members you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Good way to put it. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. It's so interesting, the laws that are going to be made in the next like 12 to 24 months related to all this stuff. But that's why I caution everybody, because like right now we're going to launch a token, my company, but we're doing it through an ownerless DAO in the Caymans so that we're, you know, protected from any kind of crazy stuff that might be happening, similar to like what we're seeing right now with Uki DAO. So I I do caution everybody and say, you know, try to try to do the the legal gymnastics as much as you can in the front, because if you do it in the back end, at least you have like plausible deniability and there's not really any laws right now fitting you into any kind of parameters just because all this is so new. So just that's, that's my opinion. (laughs) I got a question. That was my second question, actually referring to something he said, because at this point I'm smoking America pack. I don't give a fuck about this country. So like, have, has anybody here paid attention to like what other places are doing? Uh, or other countries, continents, organizations like Cayman, like- Portugal, a lot of countries. I've been following uh, legal, like regulatory developments in uh, Dubai, actually, just because so many people are interested in going there, um, and they they have pretty they have more strict and more clear requirements for registering your business than we have here. And most people, I mean, you you'll get yourself in trouble there faster than here by not incorporating. Which to me is like a take home lesson, right? For regulators, if we actually create some rules and guidelines. People will follow them. They know what to do. If you know they're told you got to do it, they'll do it. And in fact, by not setting forth regulations here, it's the opposite effect, which has been more people are doing like Uki Dow, just not setting up anything. Yeah, like well, for me, right? Like I kind of accidentally came into all of this like last year. And I, I promise you, I try. I try my damnest to, you know, stay whatever i try to stay morally right versus legally right at the end of the day because like law isn't a the compass of morality but like it seems like it's just vague and like i really feel like i'm just freeballing out here like even if i try to do the right thing is i'm probably gonna get hit by one of these folks so i'm just no, that's, out that's, other places. that's 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 you know that's unfortunately where we're at at this at this level of of evolution of this technology in this space because we're all collectively learning at the expense of somebody 
who had to go out there and had to test the boundaries. And then we can all have the luxury now of sitting back and, and Monday morning quarterbacking it. Well, that's you're being generous because no lawyer on this stage or in this room a year ago didn't talk about or understand an individual participating as a general partner and the liability consequences there. Like when we first learned about DAOs, is there any lawyer here yeah, that, that, was the that didn't like nope. initially think about that? And we've talked about it for, for as long as I've been in the space, pe- people talk about it. Okay. So, so acting, so yes, it's frustrating, but like, and I go back to it and it's not like a commercial, but like there are things you can do. Tad had just outlined how his company is preparing itself for some, um, if, if the government wants to go to battle, like it's your positioning beforehand. And there's all sorts of different strategies customizable to the business, but like, you don't want to throw your hands up and say, we're in the dark. So fuck it. You got to understand that there, there are steps to take and there isn't just here are the seven, seven steps. If you're into crypto, here are the seven steps. It's a strategy that's customized to exactly what you're doing or else you're fucking yourself just just as much. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, look, it goes back, Jenko, to the to the conversations we've had about these out of the box IP contracts. You know, they seem appealing, but they may not be perfectly catered to what you're trying to do. Just like Tadit's project is not an out of the box sort of a thing. Uh, any DAO needs to look specifically at what they're like. You said earlier, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? And what's the best vehicle to meet them? And I think we can all collectively agree that there has to be some level of insulation for personal liability. It's something that's been talked about since day one. And now we see what happens when things aren't formed correctly. There, there's, there's exposure and there's regulators coming in looking to exploit that exposure. And, and, and it's an example of, I don't, Teddy, go ahead. I can, I can wait. I was, well, I was going to, one, one additional thing I wanted to just interject in there. Uh, just so everybody in the, in the group knows, if you guys are setting something like this up, uh, Panama just kind of, they like recently changed their laws a little bit. And now there's like a really cool, uh, entity structure where you can basically combine a nonprofit, uh, foundation with a for-profit, excuse me, for-profit business into this like hybrid entity. And with this hybrid entity, you're basically completely anonymous because they don't require like any reporting. You know, you can use that information as you will. I just wanted to throw it out there for anybody in this group. (laughs) Free legal alpha. Yeah, no, it's funny. It's funny. I I can't take credit for this, but it's 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 bouncing around that this is basically the the ultimate debate is how can the government pull the plug on something like Skynet, which takes me back to my Terminator joke yesterday, because I said everybody slept on the Terminator in the movie and we saw what happened there. You know, these these completely autonomous non entity, non-human DAO structures, you know, it's going to be an interesting tug of war with regulators as to who, who turns the lights off when it's, when it, when the, when the whole dance comes crashing. The, the misconception of, oh, I have an LLC. I'm fine. I'm going to now just go act. However, is, is foolish. So the same thing applies to any DAO structure. Like it's an example of, how your life can become a headache, even if you do nothing wrong. Well, I don't need this extra. I don't need a Cayman Islands entity because I'm not going to be doing anything wrong. It's really in protecting yourself against a 
parentheses over, but really just a zealous government attorney who's advocating, you know, on their client's behalf. And now they are serving you through a discord and you're like, what the, what's going on here? I, I just bought a token. So like the idea of I'm not doing something complex or I'm not doing something wrong is not the only reason it's, we need to put, you're out in a forest and a bear is going to come into your tent. Like you got to tie your stuff up on the tree. That's all. I agree with you. Hell is, is anybody in here capable of helping your boy out with that? I got the funds for it. Like this, this is where I need to be. I saw lawyers in a, in a space and I was like, Hey, I need these questions. Cause I've been paid 20 bands last April to get a lot of these questions answered <laughs> and, and, and didn't get shit answered. You want to call Nixon Peabody, ask the, the, the switchboard for Ellie in the, in the IP department and see what yeah, happens. <laughs> we've got very strong lawyers. I would say, uh, you know, follow the lawyers that are up here. My bag is mostly criminal defense and regulatory, but we've got lawyers here that are serving Web3 in the formation uh, phase of these things. And there's a lot of talented people in this space. We all generally congregate around these issues. Um, yeah, look, you're, you're asking the right questions and you're certainly- Jesse's out in the, in the, in the um, audience. Ash is out in the audience. Tad exactly. Metaverse lawyer. Um, I could, Zach's I could, uh, firm, Matt, CW, I, those are the folks that, that I would call with a, with a, um, legal issue added here too. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of great lawyers. We got Zach in the house. Tatted. So that's your <laughs> Carlos, you know, Carlos. Yeah. When I see lawyers, man, like crypto lawyers, like on my timeline, Ellie, it's like I'm sorry. Follow. I to say on the, on the recording, I'm sorry, Ellie. Uh, but yeah, like when I see when I see like actual crypto lawyers, like people on the in the space that are lawyers, I instantly follow because hell, that's the information I need to know. A lot of questions I have, whether it be developing or this, like I can't just ask some Tom, Dick, and Harry. So like I, I try to you know get around you guys as much as possible. <laughs> I think that's a fair statement. It, it's it's difficult it's a new area of law with a lot of questions and it's difficult even for us to keep up those of us here every day with like cartoon pictures so it's you know it, it it's it's difficult we're trying our best to onboard kind of the smartest attorneys to understand the nuances of this space what's up and also think of it Think of it this way: no. most valuable lawyer. Is that what that is? Is that like a, a, a <laughs> may, hey, maybe under the radar thing? For. No, Get off just, the stage. Go ahead. Metaverse lawyer. Yeah, I, in a couple of group chats, people would just say MVL for metaverse lawyer. So just put it up there. It rolls off the tongue. But yeah, maybe most valuable. <laughs> you bought yourself a trophy. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take it. Now, all I was going to say was uh, to, to that point, it's not just knowing the law because the law is evolving. And, you know, a lot of people know the law. It's really knowing the facts and, the you know, the not just the, the culture. Yeah, but also just how it all works. I mean, you've got lawyers here that actually do our fair of degening as well. You know, use the MetaMask wallet. We know, you know, what's going on with the tech and with the with the you know, the industry of the community, right? And you go to really good lawyers. There's plenty of great lawyers out there um, that you could 
go to, but getting one that actually understands what it is that you are involved in, that's going to be helpful no matter what, no matter what your business is. Facts. Understanding the facts. I, 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 John, and you, you, we, we, we may know the same people on this. I hired outside counsel and they were like, okay, okay, okay. But what email address did you use when you signed up for the MetaMask wallet? And I was like, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. We, you know, the company signed up for it. There was a board resolution, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. But just when you signed up for your username and password, what'd you put in there for it? Six or seven different times we went back and forth on that question alone. Yeah. And it's like, you know, wait, what? It just doesn't register. You didn't have to like sign up. You didn't give an email. How do you communicate with these people? Yeah. yeah. And what did you give them? You scanned your ID. Like, what did you give them? They gave me the, the code to it. They gave me ownership. Yeah. Then trying to explain a seed phrase, right? I mean, good luck. And that's, and that's, well, guys, I, oh, uh, sorry, Carlos. Daddy, please. Yeah, my bad. I was gonna say Carlos gonna wrap it up. He has big work. That's that's why to me it's such an important thing to try very hard to set up the proper structure for the beginning because at the end of the day, if we as crypto lawyers are saying we can't follow everything, we can't understand everything because everything is so constantly changing and evolving and upgrading, then do you think the federal government that's behind by a million years is able to keep up with everything like absolutely not so the best thing to do is put yourself in a position that you can have that plausible deniability that you can say listen we we worked as hard as we could under the laws and regulations that have been given to be compliant and a lot of the times when people are looking at the facts and circumstances of a case or if they're looking to go after you or an audit that's what they'll see and that's what they'll they'll take into account uh whether or not they're going to go after you or not well said tatted I, uh, I'm in the car, Jenk, though. I got to drive to a jail visit, and I don't think they're going to let me bring the spaces into that jail visit. So I think I'm going to have to shut us down at this point. Good conversation. Thanks for going long. I appreciate yeah. it. No, great conversation. Thank you to everyone who joined us. You know where to find us. We'll be back at it again tomorrow. Um, again, another great conversation. Let's wait and see what happens and who responds to this, uh, to this particular attempt to serve via telegram thank you all thank, thank you, you for Janko. The thanks for joining everyone mvl i love it tatted peace um ellie i apologize josh joined us all right very cool later later ash ash is out there hey, we had a good crowd have a good afternoon carlo peace see you, everybody later <laughs>